Amon. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Aaron Stevens. I'm the son of Boyd and Rhonda. Uh, just, I recognize a lot of you, but some of you are new, which is pretty exciting and new to me is like within the last like seven years, so that's great. Uh, but I grew up in this church uh, from being basically my whole life. I think I was maybe one when we started coming here and was here my whole life, uh, growing up all the way through high school, and then I went off to Kansas City to go to college. Um, what drew me out there was a, a missions program called Fusion, and in this program it was a, a semester of kind of intense studies of, okay, like what is, what is church planning? What is, like how do we study the Bible? What is hermeneutics? Um, how do we go to hard places where you can't actually be a missionary, and how do you thrive in those places? So even going through like survival and first aid and security training, all these things. And then it was a semester overseas. Um, I went to India, and it was a semester just putting these things into practice, working underneath IMB missionaries, and just being a part of, of the work that God is doing there, um, and sharing the gospel with people, and partnering with, with the, the scattered local churches that are there, and, and sharing and planting new churches, and getting to see God do a lot of just incredible things. Um, India is a place where there's so many people that are so open to the gospel, so open to the truth. They're, they're hungry for it. They want it. Like So many people, when you share with them, are, are ready to believe right then and there um, to say, no, all these other gods are, are false. Jesus is the only way. Um, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He's the way to the Father. And so getting to see that, all that really affirmed a calling that God had on my life to, to continue to do missions work. And so the next year, I actually co-led a team through the same program uh, overseas uh, to a pretty similar area, even got to see some of the work that um, believers there we had partnered with and, and trained and, and spent a lot of time just pouring into and being poured into by the things that they had been doing in the eight months we had been gone, seeing like one church in particular that had planted four more churches and all this crazy stuff that God uh, is doing there that's, that's really not that crazy at all. Um, and just getting to be a part of that and seeing him at work was an incredible blessing. Um, so I finished college in Kansas City. I was like, I want to get back overseas as soon as I can. I don't want to just go for four months. I want to really commit like a, a solid period of time to, to the work there. And so I did the journeyman program with the IMB. And um, so that was two years back over in India in a, uh, the same region, but a slightly different spot. Um, just being over there for two years, really pouring into relationships, learning the language, um, and being able to just interact with people in, in their language and not just using translators all the time and things like that. Um, and again, that was just an incredible time of seeing God at work um, and just being able to be a part of that. So that's kind of a lot of my background. Right now, I'm back in Kansas City. I am working on my master's. I'm getting a master's in theological studies, um, and I'll graduate with that in December, which I'm pretty excited for. Um, yeah, my fiance Starley is here, a uh, big part of the reason I'm out here in the first place, so that's pretty great. Pretty big fan of her. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what life looks out like out in Kansas City is, I mean, I'm taking classes, um, hanging out with Starley a lot, uh, but also just getting to do a lot of ministry, a lot of just knocking on doors, um, just seeking opportunities to share the gospel just in daily life. Um, there's one lady that Starley and I have been meeting with for off and on for probably about nine months now. Uh, we were both overseas over the summer, so there was kind of a break in that and been ups and downs with that. But uh, just a, a new believer that's really just hungry for the word, that has a lot of uh, just has a really rough life. Uh, when, we first, when I first met her, uh, she, yeah, her, her husband had just died a few weeks before, and she was just broken. And that was the door that I knocked on that day. Of all the houses in Kansas City, that was the one that the Lord led me to. And there's so many stories like that, of just how God is working, um, and just how I get to see God at work, and how I hope all of us are seeing God at work um, just in our lives. And so, when I found out I was preaching, which is a little bit of a surprise, um, I was just thinking about what, what do I want to talk about? What, um, what's kind of been on my heart? What has God been teaching me lately? And the passage that came up is one that is probably familiar to most of us, and that's John 4. 
Um, John 4, uh, 3 through 42, the story of the woman at the well. And so I also want to share a little bit about a trip I took this summer to a different place, not India, to North Africa. I was leading some high schoolers over there, and I want to share um, one story in particular from that time and, and even kind of show how, how John 4 um, was a passage that was really helpful um, over that time and something that the Lord had put on my heart even before that trip. Um, it's a passage I've used a lot. It comes in handy all the time. It's something that I share often with, with new believers, people that are seeking to know more about the truth. It's something that's encouraging and helps believers orient their lives correctly to, to the right things. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. So before, uh, so before going to North Africa, all these high schoolers kind of come together, and I have 10 to 15 minutes to share a devotional, and I'm like, okay, what am, what am I going to share again? Like, what's God been putting on my heart lately? Um, and John 4 came to mind, and, and specifically talking about um, when Jesus says, my will is to do the, my, my food is to, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Um, don't say there's four more months until the harvest, but the harvest is, is now. And so these high schoolers are, are getting ready to go overseas. They're going to a place that sees very little fruit, a place that's really dark, a really hard place to live, um, even a place that, that workers can easily, easily be discouraged. Um, and we were talking about, okay, there's, there's dirty water here, there's food that can give you food poisoning, there's like security concerns, like don't get pickpocketed, and all these things. And we were talking about a lot of those, and I'm like, but those aren't like the primary concern. Like the things that are going to sustain you isn't what you know, like going into this about drinking clean water. Like clean water isn't what's going to sustain you, or, or healthy food isn't what's going to sustain you. What's going to sustain you is doing the will of God who, who is sending you out. That's what's going to fill you up more than all these other practical things that are important, but they're not the most important things. And I don't want you to go into this, and, and paired with that is this attitude of God is working right now. It's not four more months like, We'll go here, and then maybe God will do something in the future. But even just every opportunity we have to share with someone, like God can use that, and someone can believe right then and there. Like God has that power, and God is working in this place, and we know he's working in this place. Um, so having an attitude of, like, God can work during this, this one-month trip with all these people. Like, I'd never been to North Africa before. We had no language. Not that many people there spoke English. Um, and just these high schoolers that had never done anything like this before, like, God can, can use us because he's already working, and there's people that have already been laboring here before us. Um, so the main points, um, the main thread I want us to see as we look through John 4 today is I want us to see um, that in a lot of ways we value and prioritize and orient our lives around the wrong things. Or at least we, don't, we prioritize them higher than we should because there's things that are more important than even just our practical needs. Things like water and rest and food. Um, we need living water. We need to know Jesus. We need to walk in the truth, and we need to walk in God's will more than all of those things. And paired with that is a trust that God is working right now, that the harvest is imminent. So those are the two kind of key points I want us to keep in mind as we read through this passage. Um, I'm just going to pray um, as we dive into this, and we'll get going. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to just open the word with your people. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that I wouldn't say anything that you're not saying in your word, that your Holy Spirit would, would just use me to communicate what you want to communicate to um, your people today. I pray that we would, yeah, be both encouraged but exhorted and, and challenged by the things that we read. Pray that I would speak clearly. Um, Lord, I just pray that in the end you would be glorified by these things and that they would change how we live to, to be more like, more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So John 4, starting in verse 3, going through 42. A little bit of a chunk, but that's good. So, talking about Jesus. He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. 
or noon, depending on your translation. Uh, it was probably noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, did his son, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go, call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? When the woman left her water jar, went into, uh, then the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the men, "Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah?" They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, "Rabbi, eat something." But he said, "I have food to eat that you don't know about." The disciples said to one another, "Could someone have brought him something to eat?" "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work," Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor." Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know this really is the Savior of the world. And so the, the verses I want us to constantly be coming back to the verses that I think really interpret this whole story um, are 34 and 35. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. I think both of those ideas are, are paired very closely together. And so... We're just going to kind of talk through this whole story. I'm going to point out what are, what are the practical needs of the people in the story and how are, they, how are they interacting with those practical needs and are there more important needs that they need to, to realize and see. And so even just starting in, in verse 3, uh, or yeah, in, in verse 4, it says that he had to travel through Samaria. And so I didn't really have a lot of time to, to look deeper into this, but I've, I've heard people talk about how Normally, like, Jews would find a different way, like, around Samaria. It was pretty unlikely that he had to travel through Samaria because he had to get to this place. Um, there's another reason that he has to go through Samaria. There's something, something there that needs to happen. Um, and so when, it gets to, when we get to verse 6, he's there. 
Um, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. Um, and so Jesus, he, he gets to this place. His disciples are going into the town uh, to get food. And Jesus is worn out. He's, he's tired. Um, he is, yeah, exhausted from his trip. And so, like, the first, like, practical need we're seeing in the story is, like, Jesus, Jesus needs some rest. That's why he's sitting at this well. This is, this is what he's doing here. Um, but we're going to see that that doesn't take precedence over the things that are, are put before uh, Jesus to do, like the will of God that he's going to walk in throughout this story. And so um, this woman, she, she comes up to this well, and Jesus like, breaks all these cultural barriers and says, give me a drink. Like, he speaks to her. And, and the woman is surprised by this. He says, how are you a Jew asking for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Like, we don't do that. Um, so another just practical barrier um, is, is culture. There's, there's cultural barriers um, that are, are making it harder for, for them to have a conversation. There's these things um, kind of blocking that. But the things that Jesus wants to talk about are, are far more important than culture. And so Jesus um, answers her in, in just kind of a, in a round, like getting to, getting to a deeper point, drives the conversation deeper and says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so the woman hears this and she's a little confused. And, and in her response, she's talking about like, this well is, is really important to our town. Um, it goes all the way back to Jacob, giving it to Joseph. That's the reason that we even have a town here is because we have a well, we have water. Like the life of this town is, is really built around this, this well, like, Everyone here needs water. Everyone here comes to this well to get water. That's, that's what sustains us. That what, that's what keeps us alive. That's what allows us to live here. And she's, she's saying to Jesus, you're talking about some other water that's more important than this well? Like, this well is this town's life. Um, how, can, how can you have more important water than that? How can you have better water than that? And so Jesus um, answers her. He says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. And the woman hears this and is like, okay, that, that sounds pretty good. Your water might be, might be a little better than ours. Uh, can I have that water? I don't want to have to keep coming up here to drink. Um, and so what, what is this living water that Jesus is talking about here? What is this this water that, that springs up from within us. What is he, what is he getting at here? Um, and it, it doesn't really make it entirely clear what specifically Jesus is talking about in this story, uh, but Jesus talks about this um, in another passage in John, um, in John 7, 37 through 39, if you want to turn there real quick. John 7, 37 through 39. He brings up living water again, um, which will give us uh, a hint or even just tell us what we're, what we're looking at here. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not been yet been received, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so... This living water that he's talking about is the Spirit. And, and how do we get the Spirit? How do we receive this living water? It's through believing in Jesus. It's through believing in him and knowing him. And even earlier in, in John 3, we have John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then you have John 3.36, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And so, as we're talking about living water, we're seeing the theme of uh, eternal life. And these are just contextual clues of what is John talking about in this story? What should we be thinking of when we see living water? We should be thinking of believing in Jesus and the Holy Spirit sustaining us and um, being a yeah, water that wells up from within us, um, that quenches our, our deeper thirsts. Um, and that's why we're all here gathered together today is because we've, we've tasted and seen um, 
who Jesus is. We, we've come to know him as our Savior. We know that we had um, just an unpayable sin debt to God. We'd, we'd rebelled against him. We'd, we'd turned from him. And we couldn't repay that. We, we can't repay that from ourselves. And Jesus, he came down. He lived a perfect life. He taught many great things. He performed many great miracles. But ultimately, Jesus came to, to be a sacrifice for our sins, to pay that sin debt, to, to be um, a blood offering that, that made us right with God um, through belief in him. He rose again, proven he had power over sin and death, and offers that to us um, simply through believing in him and trusting him. And this is, this is what Jesus is, is getting at as he's talking to this woman. This is what he wants her to understand is you need to believe um, in me. You need to receive the Holy Spirit to, to satisfy your, your deeper needs. And so, yeah, the woman, okay, she's, she's like, okay, cultural, probably shouldn't be talking to you, but okay, you got something to say, you need water, we'll talk. Okay, I, we have this well that's really important to us, but okay, this water you're talking about, you're right, it sounds a lot more important than this water. Um, and so she's, she's recognizing who Jesus is, and Jesus then says, go call your husband and come back here, like, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, and she's kind of like, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've, you've correctly said you don't have a husband because you've had five and you're living with a man who isn't your husband. So even who Jesus is interacting with, he's interacting with a very sinful, uh, sinful woman. Um, and she sees, okay, you know these things about me? Like, that's not normal. We just met. This is strange. Like, you're a prophet. We're, we're talking about spiritual things here. So let me ask you a question that's like been on been on my mind that, that really gets me. This is really important. Where, where do we worship? Because we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. You Jews, you, you worship in Jerusalem. So, so where is it? Where do I have to worship God? Um, even really driving at the kind of underlying, you see kind of this ritualistic, we have to do these things in these places. The outward signs of worship is what she's concerned with here. And so she's, she's asking Jesus, like, how do we worship God? Well, how do we do it? correctly. And Jesus really flips the script and says something pretty, um, pretty crazy to, to both Jews and Samaritans. Um, he says, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So she's still talking about practical things and good things to think about, but Jesus is again saying, no, you're missing the point. It's not about where you do it. It's not about what you do. It's about how you do it and your attitude as you're doing these things. He says it's about worshiping God in in spirit and in truth. And so I think we see, okay, she's thinking Outward signs, outward places, outward things that we do at these places. And Jesus is saying, it's not about that at all. It's about what comes from the Spirit. And it's what comes from truth and truly knowing God. Um, and so, uh, yeah, worshiping God in Spirit and truth. We, we worship God uh, not through the outward things that we do, but the outward things we do come from what is within us, from, from our spirit, from really kind of getting at the idea of like our heart, uh, that it kind of talks about in other places in Scripture. Like, our heart has to motivate these things. True worship of God comes from our heart, comes from our spirit, and it has to be aligned with what is true. And a lot of that and what he's going to communicate to her in just a second is what is true is, is Jesus is, is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one you need to know to, to even begin to understand the truth of of who God is and how we relate to him. So uh, he continues on, uh, and the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And so this is, this is an exciting moment in the conversation because she keeps caring about these things that aren't that important. But now she's, she's kind of catching on. She's, she's where she needs to be. Like, the Messiah is really important. Like, that's, that's what's really important. And we know he's going to come and explain these things to us, and we're looking forward 
to that happening. And so she's, she's bringing this up and then is just mind blown by Jesus' response to her. Like, I am he, um, the one speaking to you. So she's finally figured out what's happening. I'm literally speaking to the Messiah. The Messiah has just asked me for water. The Messiah has just taught me about how we worship God. The Messiah um, is explaining these things to me just like I've been desiring all this time and longing for all this time. And so she went up there to get water. Like That was the priority. Water is important. We need to drink water. I need to bring water back. Um, and yeah, so just then his disciples, they come up and they're really confused what's happening. And this woman, she leaves her water jar. Forget about water. Like I've found something far more important than getting water today. I've found the Messiah. And people need to know that. Um, her values, the things she's orienting her life around, water, uh, culture, like even worship, uh, like outward signs of worship, are completely put to the side. And it's like, I found the Messiah, and I have something I need to do right now. I need to go tell everyone, because this is the most important thing. Um, and also, it, maybe, maybe Jesus got a drink of water during this, uh, but maybe he didn't. And, I mean, even just the beginning of the story of Jesus is worn out. Uh, he's probably thirsty. He's probably like, man, I just want to lay down and, and relax for a while. But he engages this woman and maybe doesn't even get water from her. Um, and he's, he's not concerned with those practical needs. Like, he doesn't care that he's thirsty. He cares about this woman knowing who he is and what's about to happen in this whole town. And so his disciples, again, they're, they're missing... Missing the point. They're like, if Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, something's wrong. Like, he really needed something so bad that he was willing to, like, break all these barriers and talk to this woman. Um, so what are, what are his practical needs that, that needed to be filled that, that we didn't fill? Um, Jesus like, what do you want? Like, they want to ask these things, but they aren't asking them. And so the woman, she goes into the town. She's uh, telling everyone, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the people in that town start making their way uh, up to, to see Jesus. Is this, is this true? Meanwhile, his disciples are like, Rabbi, eat something. Like, you need to eat. Eat some food. Jesus, why aren't you eating food? Jesus, we brought you this food. Like, eat it. Uh, and you just kind of get that idea of they're missing everything that's happening, and they're focusing completely on the wrong thing. So we've been talking about water, and now we're talking about food. Like, the disciples are like, Food is important to you, Jesus. You're tired. You need to get your strength back. You need to eat this food. Like, why aren't you eating it? What are you doing? Uh, and Jesus is like, oh, like, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Like, I'm getting my nourishment and my sustenance from, from other food. And his disciples are like, okay, like, that comes from food. Who gave him food? Like, they're still just focused entirely on food, on these practical needs. And then... Really, what, what, again, comes down to like what we're supposed to read this passage through, the couple of verses we're supposed to read this whole passage through, is my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The thing that Jesus needs most to sustain him, to, to provide him with energy, more than food, uh, more than water, more than rest, is to do the will of God who sent him and to accomplish his work, to, to walk in the things that the Lord has put before him. That's what Jesus orients his life around. He doesn't orient his life around food or water or rest, as important as those things are. If we don't have those things, we die. And so what he's saying is even more important than those things, and those things are pretty, pretty significant. And it's also, it's paired um, with kind of the immediacy, the like the imminence of, of God working. It's not four more months, then comes the harvest. It's like the harvest is now. And so we already know that the woman, she's going into the town, she's telling everyone they're making their way to Jesus. This is kind of, uh, in the meantime, this is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. I don't think it's far-fetched to imagine that as Jesus is saying this, he's like pointing towards the city and being like, see all these people like coming up to, to see me? Like, that's a lot more important than food. Um, and so just... Yeah, even, even imagining them like walking through a field and just seeing these people coming to Jesus, 
Like, that's the harvest. That's, that's the food that sustains. And that's God working right now. That's not God working uh, a few months down the line through this woman, like, sharing with some people. That's not um, waiting uh, to see fruit. That's God is working right now. And he's doing something right now. And you're so focused on food that you're missing it. And so, yeah, so you kind of have this picture of people, they're coming towards Jesus, and then Jesus starts talking about laborers and and sowers and reapers. Um, The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in the case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for, others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. And so... um, yeah, here we see God has already been at work in this place. God has prepared these things to happen. Um, and now you're seeing the, the fruit of that. There's people that um, have, have probably shared truth in this city with the Samaritans, truth about God. There's probably people there that, um, that have some relationship with God. Um, maybe not. Maybe they do. Uh, but the point is that what, what the disciples are getting to see right now, they're getting to see the, the fruits of labors that they, they didn't have to, to labor for. Um, and, I mean, that's something that, that I've seen in my own life a lot. Is um, I can go to these new places and, um, like, going to North, North Africa this last time. It was a really dark place. It was a place with very little fruit. Um, and we got to see fruit while we were there. And that's not because we were faithfully laboring there for a long time. It's not because we were the best of the best that went there to, to share the truth with people, to share the gospel. It was because there had been missionaries that had been there for a long time already laboring. God had been working in people. God had been preparing the hearts of those we were going to talk to, even um, making one guy in particular study English like earlier in the year so that we would actually be able to communicate with him when we met him. Like all these little things that God was doing ahead of time through people and just through his spirit to prepare people um, for meeting us. And so we get to, to reap what we didn't labor for. And that, what, a, what a blessing that is. And then there's some people there that have uh, been there a long time and they've been laboring and they've been sowing and sowing and sowing and they haven't seen any fruit. And that isn't any less a part of the work. But Jesus wants everyone to keep in mind that, that he's working. Um, and even just as we're maybe sharing the gospel with someone, it's not, I'm going to share the gospel with someone and maybe through a number of conversations down the line, they'll, they'll come to believe. But trusting that God can work then and there and in that moment, that they can believe um, this time that I share with them. Whether it's someone like a family member we've been sharing with for a long time or a stranger we meet just as we're out and about. And so Jesus communicates these things. He's telling the disciples, you guys are completely missing everything that's important right now. You're completely missing what actually sustains us, what is most important, even above water and food and rest and all of these things. And so then the the people, they come to him from the town um, and they ask him to stay longer. They believe because of what the woman tells them, like her testimony about who Jesus is. And then later on, uh, many more believe just from hearing from Jesus. And they tell the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. And again, all these things are hinging around. The woman realizes this is the Messiah. She realizes who Jesus is. She believes in Jesus. These people, they they come to, to meet Jesus. They see him. Okay, is this the Messiah? And they come to realize, yes, this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And in those things, again, like their, their values shift. Their orientation of their lives shift. They, they leave what they're doing to come talk to Jesus. They ask him to stay two days. They spend those two days listening to him. Their lives are altered because they've met the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so what I want us to, to be thinking about today, and I'm going to share a story of, of a man who who wrestled with a lot of these things, wrestled with what is valuable, what is truly valuable in North Africa, and, and came to know that, that Jesus is um, the most valuable thing. 
And so as, as we're talking through that, as um, we're kind of getting towards the conclusion, um, just want us to be thinking, like, what are we orienting our lives around? Are we, are we thinking about the next meal? Are we thinking about water? Are we thinking about when are we going to rest next? Or are we thinking about what God is doing right now and how we can join in that and join in, in walking in his will? So, yeah. So we were in North Africa, me and uh, a friend of mine, good old Eli, was the high schooler that was with me. There was a girls team that we were, I was kind of helping lead, but most of my time was just spent with this guy, Eli. Um, and our budget was very, very low. And so we ended up in just a really weird part of the city that nobody ever lives in, like no tourists, no foreigners ever live in, uh, because it was just cheaper. Uh, it was a beach town, and it was pretty far from the beach. Uh, anyway, so we're in this part of town, we're like, well, this isn't really the best place to be. Like, this house smells a little weird. Uh, it's really far from the beach, and we don't really have much money to pay for like taxis or like to get to and from there, so we're going to have to walk like two and a half, three miles to the beach every day. That's not great. And so we go up, we're, we're just getting lunch at some kind of like hole-in-the-wall sandwich-ish shop. And um, the people there, they don't speak English at all, and we know a little bit of the local language, and we're kind of like, okay, we don't really enjoy ordering because it's just a communication like is really difficult. Most of the waiters just don't speak English. Um, so we're kind of dreading it, kind of a little down. And so we go up to this place, and we're kind of stumbling through ordering some sandwiches, and the guy's like, do you guys speak English? And we're like, yes, yes, we do. And so we were just excited about that. Um, in this place, like, not many people speak English, but to be honest, uh, every English speaker we met, I think with the exception of one, uh, we got to share the gospel with and had these incredible, just long conversations about the truth. Uh, it's probably the easiest place in, in the world that I've been for just sharing the gospel. Uh, so that's just a little bit of context. But so we, we're talking to this guy, we're ordering, and he kind of comes up and starts asking us some questions about who we are, and we start asking about who he is, and get to a point where we're like, hey, like, are you a Muslim? Uh, he's like, yeah, kind of, I'm a Muslim, but like, for people like me, we can't really be Muslims. Um, and so we've been talking to this guy for a little bit, he just has pulled a chair up to our table, and um, we're kind of talking to him a little bit, like, what, is, what does this mean? Um, and finally, he, like, which this is something that they would never say to another guy from their country, but he was like, yeah, people with, like, my sexual orientation can't really be Muslims. And so we're like, oh, okay. And, like, also mind blown that he's, like, the first time we've met this guy, he's come out and just said that. Um, and we're like, oh, uh, interesting. Um, and so we get to talk to him a little bit about that. And actually, part of Eli's story is, is kind of struggling with, with that, struggling with um, just attraction to, to both genders. Um, and he's, he's worked through that, and God's like grown him and taught him a lot through that, through that struggle um, with sin. And it actually just gave him a, a perfect opportunity to start sharing his testimony with this guy of, um, of his life and, and what God had been doing in it. And so he's most of the way through his testimony, and we're like really excited, like, whoa, what a strange connection we didn't expect. And the manager of the place is like, hey, like, Joe, you're, you're supposed to be working right now. What are you doing? Uh, he's been sitting there talking to us for like 20 minutes. Like, you have to actually do things. Uh, so the manager's like yelling at him, and it's kind of funny. But uh, So he gets back to work, and he's like, sorry, I can't really talk. And so we, we get his number, and we're like, all right, we'll, we'll catch you when you don't have work. And he's like, uh, I work seven days a week for 10 hours a day. And we're like, you're crazy, Joe. Uh, but that's just part of the, like, part of the job. It's a relatively normal thing there. We're like, well, that stinks. Like, when are we going to get to talk to you? And he's like, well, we can't really talk while I'm here, and I'm pretty busy, uh, so I don't know. And so his buddy's like, I really, really want to talk to you guys. Like, I really want to hear more about what you guys are talking about. And so finally, there's, there's one night where we, we get to meet with him, and uh, he finally, like, works just an earlier shift, and we go and get tea with him, which is the thing to do. Um, and we just, like, Eli gets to finish sharing his testimony with him, and then um, we just get to start sharing the gospel. We get to start sharing about Jesus, um, 
being the perfect sacrifice, kind of talking about things from even a Muslim perspective of sacrifice is important. Um, but us talking about um, even from the beginning, even with Adam and Eve, like God killed the lamb to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. Um, and the, the shedding of blood to provide forgiveness of sins is, is throughout all of the scriptures is, is how God forgives sins and how, is how God like, points to the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we're talking through all these things with him, telling him all about Jesus' death and, and resurrection and um, how he's the perfect sacrifice, how that's the only way our sins are forgiven. Um, and he's like eating it up and he's like super excited and he's asking really good questions. Um, and there's even just things that are starting to come out of how God's been working in his life to help him receive these things. Um, one of those things is he's like, guys, you don't understand this, but like, there's no coincidences. Did you know that? Like, God's in control of everything. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. Yes, that's true, Joe. Um, and he's like, it's no coincidence that I met you guys and that you guys are telling me this. Like, you guys are telling me the truth. We're like, yeah, Joe, you're right. Uh, another time in the conversation, he's like, hey, like, one of my professors taught me something that sticks with me, and it's like, the truth is always free. And this, this gospel you're talking about, this, this gift of salvation, it's free. This guy, he told me, if, if you have to pay for it, if you have to work for it, like, it's probably a lie. Um, and what you guys are telling me is, is a free gift. Like, that's a really good sign. We're, we're leaving there, we're, we're walking back to get a taxi, and we're showing him the Bible just in his local language on our phones, like, hey, you can get this app and, and look at this. And he, like, looks down, and he, like, grabs Eli. He's like, whoa, like, this is my language. He's like, yeah. He's like, I can, I can read this in my language. Like, yeah. It's like, how much is it? Like, how much does it cost? And we're like, it's free. He's like, oh, that's a good sign. <laughs> and so we get to meet with him over a couple weeks, and he's really struggling. Like, just like um, we were just talking about in John 4, like the things that he values, the things that his life is oriented around, family, um, work, job, just his social circles, all these things are coming into tension with the gospel. The gospel means sacrificing and prioritizing it over these things. Um, and so we're, we're talking through that, and he's, he's really struggling because he, he knows it's the truth, but he's like, is it worth it? Is, it? is it more valuable than all these things that I've valued my whole life? And even early in, in our conversations with him, he asked the same question as this woman. He's like, where, where do Christians have to believe? What is like their sacred place? Like, we have Mecca, like the, the Jews have Jerusalem. Like, where is your sacred space? And we actually got to bring him to this passage and talk about it's not about where, it's about worshiping God in spirit, and in truth. And so he had, he had already read through this, this whole passage with us. We talked about it. Um, what is the living water? And he's getting like, oh, like that's, that's Jesus. Like He's the one that actually satisfies, like even more important than water. And he's like getting all these things. And it's so clear the Spirit is working in him. Um, and yeah, like the second time we, we met with him, uh, we, we went and got a sandwich just to kind of say, hey, I'm like, hey, when can we meet with you again? Uh, and so we left, and he calls us like five minutes later. He's like, hey, we're going to go to the beach today? And we're like, aren't you working? He's like, nah. Uh, and we're like, okay. And so we go to the beach with him, and then come to realize that he just quit his job on the spot. He's like, I'm tired of not hanging out with Aaron and Eli. I want to hear more. So he just quits his job and goes to the beach with us, and we get to talk to him for that whole day, and it's um, just an incredible time. And Yeah, so one of the passages that we talked about with him a lot was the treasure of greatest value. Um, so the, the guy, he's, he sees this treasure in a field, and he's like, whoa, like this treasure is worth more than anything I could ever imagine. So he goes and sells all of his stuff, all these things that are valuable to him, because this treasure makes them all look like rubbish, like there's no value in these things. And he buys this field, and we constantly talk to him about this passage. Um, and he's still just struggling, like, is this the treasure of greatest value? Um, and he even like came to us and he's like, you know guys, like, if I died right now, I would go before God, and he would say, Joe, like, why didn't you believe in me? I sent Aaron and Eli to you. And he's like, that will happen, and I'll have no answer. I'll have nothing to say. Um, and so he's, like, really wrestling with these things, and finally he comes over to our house, um, and we just get to talk to him. I'm, um, he's like, what do I do? How do I, how do I know? And if we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword separates joint and marrow, soul and spirit. 
Um, and that's in like Hebrews 3 or 4. And in that passage, it's talking about Israel knowing the truth, but hardening their hearts to the truth. And he loves reading the Bible. And so he just started reading that whole like, passage. And he's like, whoa, like, I'm being disobedient to God right now. Like, horribly disobedient. I'm hardening my heart. I need to believe. Um, and he's like, I'm going to think of the right words. And then tonight or tomorrow, I'll, I'll pray to God. And I'll confess my sins and make him like the Lord of my life. <clears throat> We're like, Joe, like, you can do it now. Uh, just like sacred space. Like, it's not about where, it's not about the right words. Like, God's your father, like, speak to him. And he spends like 10 or 15 seconds just thinking really hard. And he's like, all right, I accept this. Like, Jesus is my Lord. I'm making him king. And then for the first time in his life, he, he prays to the living God. And it's a beautiful, like, four or five minute prayer that blows my mind. And just so clear that the Spirit's working on him, and uh, we celebrate, we're, we're hugging him, we're, we're super pumped, and um, yeah, he's, he's turned from all these things, and he's like, what's next? Like, what do I do next? And we're like, well, like, repent and believe and be baptized. Like, we had talked a little bit about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, because there was a, a sacrifice festival going on, and that's the thing that the eunuch is reading about in Isaiah 53, like, Jesus as the sacrifice, and so we talked to him about that, and he's like, yeah, like I have to be baptized. Um, we're like, when do you want to be baptized, Joe? And he's like, let's do it tomorrow. And we're like, heck yeah, let's do it tomorrow. And so, yeah, we, we called some workers that had met with him um, as well as us, um, said, hey, like, Joe just believed he's ready to be baptized tomorrow, and we're like, great. And so even this picture that you're seeing on the screen uh, is us. Um, we went to the beach the next day, to a slightly more remote part of the beach because it is a very significant and something that could get him arrested or even killed um, to be baptized, to, to be um, known as a believer. Uh, so we went to the beach, we went to a, a slightly secluded part of it, and we talked to him about these things. We talked about the meaning of baptism. We had him share the gospel with us, like, what is the gospel? What is the thing of highest value in your life? Um, and he's just going off, like, talking about how great the Lord is and how he's the king of his life and how he's changed his life, and we're super pumped, and yeah, so we, um, we baptize him. And, and one of the first things that he said after he believed was, you know that story about that woman at that well? You know, the one that Jesus talked to? We're like, yeah. And he's like, that was a really small conversation. They didn't talk very long. But because of that conversation, that whole town was affected um, I, want, I want it to be like that in this town. I want God to use me in this town for people to, to, to know who he is, to have the living water. And we're like, Joe, that pumps me up. Um, that was a man, he, he got it. He understood what was valuable after he came to know Jesus as the Messiah. He knew it was worth sacrificing everything that he wanted, everything that he valued, his family, um, his work, just all these things were worth giving up for the treasure of greatest value, and that treasure is Jesus, is knowing Jesus as Lord, knowing his sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins that he provides, and having relationship with God and eternal life. And so what I want to leave you guys with today is really the, the two main points, again, going back to those two verses, 34 and 35. Um, what is your food? Like, what is sustaining you? What is most important? What is the most valuable in your lives? Are you just thinking about the next meal? Are you thinking about the next time you have time off from work and can do something that'll relax you? Is, is that going to help you survive? Is that um, what you're looking forward to? Are you looking forward to, to deeper and, and even better things of um, living in light of the will of God? Living day to day, seeking God, what would, you, what would you have me do? Like, how can I be intentional in my life um, to, to do the things, the, the good things that you put before me to do? Um, whether that's just being intentional about sharing the gospel with the people around you, whether that's being intentional with each other as believers in this church and, and pouring into one another and building one another up, um, whether that's just in your own lives, in your own time in the Word, in your time in prayer, um, are you committing to those things? Are you growing in those things? Um, 
And then paired with that, are you trusting that God's working in all of those areas? Are you trusting that God is working right now? Are you trusting that the harvest is imminent, that the harvest is right there? Um, Luke uh, 10.2 talks about, like, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send more laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, when we see darkness, when we see lack of growth, when we see these things, it's not because there isn't a harvest out there. It's not because God isn't working. It's because the laborers are few. We need to be a part of that labor, and we can't miss where God's already at work because he is at work. It's not four more months until the harvest. The harvest is right now. Are you living in light of that? Are you trusting that God is working in, in each area of your life, or are you just sustaining, focusing on practical needs? And it's not stop drinking water and stop eating and stop resting. Like Those are all things we're called to in the Word. But are those the most important things in your life? Or is walking in the light of the truth, walking in the will of God, knowing Jesus and living in light of that the most important thing in your life? Um, I'm just going to close this in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you that you have provided far more than we could ever imagine that we wanted or needed. God, you give us the living water. You give us yourself that through believing in you, we can have eternal life. Through believing in you, we have the gift the incredible gift of the Spirit, the gift that, that just keeps on giving, the gift that wells up within us and allows us to, to live in a way oriented around you, to live in a way that we see you working and can be a part of, of that work, be a part of, of living in the light of your will. God, I pray that um, we wouldn't just view uh, practical needs as the most important things in our life, but we'd be constantly looking to to see how we can um, obey you, to, to walk in your will, to, to live in light of the truth. I pray that we wouldn't get um, yeah, distracted from those things. I pray that we would um, look into our lives, that you would convict us of, of things that we're valuing too highly, and that you would show us um, what we should be valuing more and how we can walk in obedience to you. Uh, make those things so clear to us, God. Lord, I, I pray for Joe. I pray that you would continue to, to show yourself to him, that he would continue to know you as the thing of greatest value. I pray that he would continue to um, just eat your scriptures up um, and be faithful to, to share what has changed his life, no matter the cost. Yeah, God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.